I want to continue right in and jump right in to where we left off the last time where we were speaking of fathers, princes granting immunity to a corporate expression of the people of God. Early on we spoke of the individual faith, the individual possessor of faith gaining this defense against personal accusations by the enemy regarding our identity and our purpose. In this I want to continue to speak of corporate shielding, corporate blessing, corporate benefits that attend to us, uh, attend us at the very personal level. And I want to use to set this up the story of Moses in Israel, uh, I'm sorry, Moses in Egypt in the days of the plague. God instructed Moses to instruct the families to apply the blood of a lamb upon the physical doors. And again, just to remind you, the word shield, one of the meanings of the word shield is the word door, and as in the door to a house, and uh, granting immunity to those who are behind the door. Just like the word shield also means a stone rolled into place in front of a sepulchre, indicating the immunity that is conferred to us by tatimi, by lying down as if we are dead, and the histemi of God rising up in our circumstances so that when we are weak, He is strong and He is actually the overcomer of the evil one. In the door as shield, God saved an entire nation behind the shield of righteous fathers in Egypt. The plague had come upon Egypt with the intent of destroying the firstborn. In type and shadow, this represented Adam, the first Adam, the man of flesh. who was subject to the accuser and whose sin separated him from God and made everyone in Adam subject to death. So in this sense, he's the firstborn who is being destroyed in Egypt, type and shadow of the, of the death of the firstborn in Egypt. So Moses was instructed by God and Moses then instructed the fathers to hide behind Christ. What do I mean by that? Well, the blood of a lamb. Uncontrovertibly typical of Christ. In typology, there is no, there can be no reasonable or even unreasonable doubt that this is a reference to Christ. The blood of the Lamb was, was uh, 
attached or spilled, placed upon both the sides of the doors, both sides of the door, and on the lintel. And it was said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Which is to say, it wasn't that the blood was some sort of token that um, granted immunity just because it was applied. There was significance in the blood. The price, you see, had already been paid. That's the basis of the immunity. The price had been paid. Death had already occurred. That was the message to the destroyer as as the destroyer visited the houses of Egypt. Whatever the form of this destroyer, of this plague that resulted in the killing of the firstborn, be it an angel and almost certainly it was was, uh, a messenger sent from God to do this thing. Uh, This was not the evil one uh, in in, uh, this destruction in Egypt. It had a completely shocking occurrence uh, or, or result. However, there can be no mistake that it was doing what it was doing as an instrument of God and specifically of God's judgment upon Egypt. Because after that, uh, Pharaoh was broken and the intent of God was to break Pharaoh. And he said, take the people out, get get out in all of your capacities, leave my country. It was the hand of God that broke Pharaoh. It was not the devil's idea to send a destroyer to destroy uh, the firstborn of Egypt. As the firstborn uh, huddled behind the doors of the Israelites, of the houses of the Israelites, they were literally hiding under the blood of Christ. The point was, as I mentioned earlier, that to the destroyer the message was unequivocal. Your work has already been done here. Observe the blood. So the, the, because the firstborn, as it were, was now under the blood of the Lamb, an immunity was conferred that would make the entrance of the destroyer into this house redundant. In many ways, this is what redemption actually looks like. The firstborn was redeemed by the blood of Christ. Who really was God's firstborn? Adam was the first created. But God was the fir- but Christ was the firstborn because in defining firstborn 
What is not relevant is the birth order. Surely Adam came first. But in determining who the firstborn is, it's an issue of rank, of rank. Who had the greater authority? And although Christ comes in time last, he clearly has the rank of the inheritor of God's grace. In, uh, there's this incredible proverb, uh, it's Proverbs 8. I'll, I'll take a moment just to read portions of Proverbs 8 because I was so struck by it uh, as it uh, as it defined this phenomenon of the firstborn. Does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? She takes a stand on the top of the high hill beside the way where, she, where the paths meet. She cries out by the gates at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the doors, at the entrance of the doors. To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O you simple ones, understand prudence, and you fools, be of an understanding heart. Listen, for I will speak of excellent things, and from the opening of my lips will come right things, for my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. They are all plain to him who understands and the right to those who find knowledge. Receive my instructions and not silver and acknowledge rather than choice gold and, and excuse me, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies and all the things one desires, one may desire, cannot be compared with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Counsel is mine. Both, you're noticing something here the seven spirits of God spoken of in Isaiah 11, uh, the reference. I, I am understanding, I have strength. By me kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me princes rule and nobles. All the judges of the earth, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Riches and honor are mine, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I traverse the way of the righteous in the midst of the paths of justice, that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. And he goes on, 
speaking then about, uh, well, uh, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way before his works of old. I have been established from everlasting, from the beginning before there was even an earth. When there were no paths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While, uh, while as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world. In other words, before even man was created. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the seas its limits so that the waters would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master craftsman. He made everything and without him was not anything made that was made. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. I, I, I would recommend the, the finish, that you finish reading uh, this Proverbs 8. It's a richly laden prophetic psalm. And it speaks of this whole notion of how kings, princes, rulers are granted the immunity uh, from the attacks of the enemy if they are righteous because their righteousness connects them to the firstborn who is primary in the order of God. Who was, when Jesus would say, uh, as he issued the Great Commission, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Well, this is when he got it, before the foundations of the world. So in every manifestation of people who trust in him, this is the provision that is at work and that takes place on their behalf with consistency. So when the blood was applied to both sides of the door and the lintel, it was as it were impleding this pre-existing grace. This is the grace of the firstborn. It's not the first in time that determines the firstborn. It's the first in rank. And this proverb speaks at depth about this particular concept. So the blood on the sides of the door and on the lintel was impleding, was bringing into focus and claiming the efficacy of this pre-existing righteousness inherent in the person of Christ. That's what Moses was doing. Now, it's interesting that the blood was on the sides of the door and on the lintel, but not on the door itself. There's a distinguishing here between the two. The sides of the door and the lintel are part of the permanent structure of the house. 
If the door, for example, is broken down or rots, you can replace the door, but you will replace it by attaching it again to the frame of the door, which are the sides and the lintel. The point is that fathers who are attached to Christ, I write to you fathers for you know him who is from the beginning. That's the qualification for fathers in the house of God. Fathers who are attached to Christ give immunity, give the immunity of Christ to those in their households in much the same way that when the destroyer came to Egypt, the blood was already shed, the price was already paid, and there was no need for the destroyer to enter a second time to ravage the house of the firstborn. So you have the juxtaposition of the firstborn in time, Adam, being behind the door in the houses of the fathers, and you have the firstborn in rank, the Lord Jesus Christ, standing at the door. Whoever attaches, uh, whoever is attached by way of being a father, gives that immunity to those in their houses. And all you would ever have to do to see how plainly this is true would be to take down the door. As we have said earlier on in this particular sequence, if you remove a father, particularly a righteous father, from his household, what then is the resulting condition upon his children? If all you have to do to see it is, if there is not a righteous father over the house, whether he is present or not, doesn't matter, the house is still devastated. Even when you tie, even when you, the enemy intends to plunder a house, he must bind the strong man or the father of the house, overthrow the authority of the father who watches over the house. Even when children are missing the mark, even when children are behaving unrighteously, God will yet have mercy on them because of the prayers of their fathers who are righteous and or because of the righteous stance of their fathers. This is called covering. This is what covering looks like. Now, troubles will begin for the children when God indicates to the fathers it is time to confront the children with their errant ways. When the fathers confront the children with their errant ways, now 
the Father is himself acting on behalf of the Father, of God the Father, to bring the children to repentance. A righteous father will confront his children in the timeliness of the Lord. The need to confront his children is perhaps less and maybe not as general if children are raised up in the way that they should go. But children do have independence of choice and decision-making and when they elect to spurn the counsel of their fathers, then God will inevitably instruct the fathers to confront the children so that they might be brought to repentance. When the father confronts a child about the child's unrighteousness, and here we're talking about children who are older and in the place of being able to make their own decisions and know what's right and what's wrong. When the father confronts the children of his house, it is the same as God confronting the children. And grace exists for the children to repent at that time and turn, and if they do, they'll be spared the, the, the rod of correction. If they don't, then the fathers have done righteously and now God will deal with the children. Fathers must not neglect, it is part of righteousness to confront children at the time when children should be confronted. When God is saying it's time to confront, then the father does that as the agent of God. At that point, the immunity of the door is no longer a covering to the errant son or to the errant child. At that time, then, the child stands on his own before God. Usually that's also the time of transitioning from the faith of the Father to your own faith. So, in summary, the shield of faith is viewed as both the sepulchre, the stone in front of the sepulchre, and a door. Behind the shield of faith, one is granted immunity from all the fiery darts of the wicked. The fiery darts of the wicked typically apply to and, a refer and do reference the kinds of attacks one may be under and the, the attacks are typically targeted to two things. Who am I, therefore, what is my identity? And why am I here, what is my purpose? Because the uncertainties associated with these things can consume a life's purpose in trying to answer the accuser on these two fronts. The fiery darts of the enemy 
are targeted individually. So what works against you as an individual is exactly how the enemy intends to approach you. It's different from how he approaches anyone else. In this thing we call blockage removal, a good part of the time is spent understanding how the individual has been affected in this way, how the enemy targets the individual and with what precision. No one is immune from this. The saving of the soul is very much the removal of these accusations by the enemy uh, or the blunting of this attack, the nullifying of of this attack so that though the darts come, they do not penetrate the shield of faith. It is why one must be rendered to be dead. To every identity that preceded you being born again. The enemy is going to try to resurrect those accusations to see if it strikes a familiar chord with you. When you hear these things, the response is as by the shield of faith. Faith at that point is what God is saying to you. Faith is how God defines you, how you are defined as a new creation and whether or not you will stand behind that faith or behind that shield and the standing is actually lying down dead. God will answer your enemy for you every time and His fiery darts will fall aimlessly, uselessly, ineffectually at your side. God grants you layers of protection that prevents even a barrage of 10,000 of these fiery darts from ultimately having any effect on you. He grants the immunity of your understanding that you are in Christ, the propitiated relationship between you and the Father in the person of Christ, the box, the Ark of the Covenant being a type and shadow of that, where you have an identity that is based upon being assembled to Christ. By the way, that identity is not being a prophet or an apostle or an evangelist, that identity is that of being a son. The giftings are how God uses you and through which God comes through you to the world. Never allow your identity to be determined by a gift, even that the enemy can attack. The shield of faith is entirely effective against the attacks upon your identity 
and your purpose. It is so powerful that the enemy cannot penetrate it. It is part of, it's described as above all, above all. It is the most encompassing, uh, the broadest possible basis of the display of God's power on your behalf when you do not, when you are in the environments where you're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Whether you are on the earth and in your natural circumstances, or you are in the spirit in your heavenly circumstances, the shield of faith is an effective barrier to everything the enemy can do against you. And in that sense, the shield of faith is an indispensable part of how you defeat, not defend, but defeat the enemy when he comes targeting your most vulnerable component your identity and your purpose. We'll continue now with the discussions of the rest of the armor of God. And I'm Sam Solon. I hope you'll continue to listen uh, to these programs. I'll talk to you then. Bye-bye.